All right, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, and reads as follows. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me fifteen pieces of silver, and for a homer of barley, and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide me many days, and thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without sacrifice, without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear at the Lord his goodness in the, later day, in the latter days. Let's pray before we go on here. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have it to study, to learn from, to educate, to make part of our lives. Please be with us now as we study this chapter from your word here. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been studying in the book of Hosea, the story of Hosea and Gomer, Hosea and Gomer, his wife, right? And their family. Now, now I don't know if I've mentioned this before, this book, Hosea, is kind of split into two chapters, chapters one to three, and we're thinking of chapter three today. Chapters one to three really talk about that story, the Gomer story, the Hosea and Gomer story. After that, when we start chapter four next time, we're going to a more traditional type of uh, prophecy, explanation, um, talking about the, uh, you know, what Israel needs to do, what they've done wrong, correction, that sort of stuff. But the analogy, right? The, uh, the comparison that we've been making between Hosea's family and the children of Israel, we wrap it up this time with chapter three. If you remember chapter one, Right? Remember chapter 1, he was told to go marry the wife of whoredoms, right? Marry the wife of whoredoms. And he did. And we talked about how there were three children out of this marriage, right? And we talked in detail about the names, right? How the names were representative of how the children of Israel would be treated, right? They are treated like uh, uh, the... The three names set forth, right? Number one, Jezreel, first child, Jezreel. Scattered, which means scattered, right? The children of Israel would be scattered. Number two would be uh, Lo Ruhama, right? No mercy. The name means no mercy, right? God did not have mercy on Israel, right? And then, finally, Lo Ami, Lo Ami, uh, not my people. That means not my people, right? And children of Israel will not become God's people anymore, right? You turn their backs on them. And in chapter 2 last time, we saw how the story of Hosea's family matched that story quite a bit, right? First, the wife left him, left him to go continue her, her ways of whoredoms, right? Scattered away from the family, right? And then Hosea, in reaction, cuts her off, right? Says, I've been supporting all these years, right? And providing all these things. No more. No mercy, right? No mercy. Finally, you know, because she was away and gone, not part of the family anymore, not my people. Not my people. We've seen that whole thing kind of spread out the same theme over these first two chapters. But, 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 we saw at the end. We saw the end of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 2 that there will be, there will be redemption, right? There will be redemption, right? There will come a time when the scattered people will become a positive thing, right? They're scattered, but they're scattered and they're all God's children, right? And they would be shown mercy, right? The opposite, right? Before we're talking about no mercy, then mercy. And they would become God's people again. So before it was not my people, now it would be my people, 
Why is that? Well, we know the reason why. We can fast forward the answer we know today, right? The way that we go about is through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? It's through Jesus Christ would have mercy. It's through Jesus Christ that we are God's people. And that was true for the children of Israel. And that's true for us today, right? That through Jesus, we obtain mercy. Through Jesus, we become God's people. And through Jesus, being scattered is a good thing because we're scattered and we're sharing the gospel with more places and more people. So finishing up the comparison, right? Finishing up this story of going from scattered, no mercy, not my people, to scattered, mercy, and my people, we have chapter 3, which kind of wraps up the, the marriage story. Nice little bow here, right? Because it says in verse 1, Hosea is commanded to go again and lo- to go love a woman, beloved of her friend, right? An adulteress, right? To go back and love your wife again, right? This is the same woman, right? Same woman did all this bad stuff that left him. But the command is, guess what? You need to go love her, right? Bring her back. Bring her back, right? According to what? According, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. You know, God's making it very clear what the comparison is, right? In the same way, God still loved Israel at the end, right? You must go and love your wife right now. So Hosea has to go live through this experience. Live through the experience of what God kind of feels, right? I'm sure it's not the same, but it's a similar idea, right? The idea being that, hey, this wife was totally unfaithful was totally unloving to you. They didn't care about you. And we see here is unrepentant. It did not say that, oh, the wife all of a sudden changed her mind. She's sorry. She's going to stop, you know, cheating on him. She's going to stop trying to find other people. It didn't say that at all. All it is is God saying, hey, go love her back. Because that's the way God operates. That's the way God operates too. He forgave us. He forgave Israel. Israel didn't you know, have a whole, have a, have a huge moment where they regretted everything and they wish they came back and all these things like that. There's a lot of sinners today, right? A lot of people, unrepentant sinners, right? That they do all these bad things in the world, lie, steal, cheat, kill, whatever. God has forgiveness for all of them. That's the nature of God's forgiveness. He calls us all back, calls us all back to be his children, regardless, regardless of, you know, what our state is, right? He gives us all that chance. And that's the way he wanted Jose to experience it, right? The true act of mercy. Hey, you might not deserve it, but I want you to come back, right? And it says in verse 2 that it's not this that he called her to come back. He bought her back. He bought her back, right? Bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and an omer of barley and a half omer of barley, right? So what does it mean by buy her back? Well, there's, you know, a couple theories that go into why does he have to buy back his own wife, his own wife, right? A couple theories, and I don't know which is true. The Bible doesn't say, but I think all of them make sense and all of them will lead to the same conclusion, right? The one, first theory is, you have to remember this was thousands of years ago. Number one, maybe she was sold into slavery at some point, Right? Slavery existed in that time, and maybe it had been that she was living her life and doing whatever, and somehow wound up in a position of slavery, and he had to be, she had to be bought out of slavery. That's one theory people have. Another theory, well, she became a prostitute, right? You know, that was what she did before, right? That's what she loves doing. She's a prostitute. Well, 
how do you get the prostitute out of the house of prostitution? You gotta pay them, right? Pay to get out of that job, right? So she's working for some prostitution house, whorehouse, or whatever. They don't wanna let go of their employee. Oh, some guy comes in and gives a lot of money. Okay, fine, you can take her and leave now, right? Or the third possibility, equally as bad and horrible, right? Maybe she's with this other person, right? It says that, oh, this woman is beloved of, quote, her friend, right, in verse one, right? So she's with this other person, this new boyfriend, if you will, right? And he's such a scummy guy that he's willing to let her go. He says, oh, you're willing to give me money? Okay, I don't, I don't love her anymore. You take her, you go away. I don't want this woman anymore. I'd rather have the money, right? So these are the, the theories that people have about why he would have to pay to get his own wife back. I think they're all, you know, foreign to us today in the 21st century, but you have to imagine, you know, thousands of years ago, this is the society they lived in, and yeah, it would make sense that, hey, you might have to pay, right? Pay to get the wife back, you know, all for all these not that great reasons, right? But he does that, and he says unto her after he buys her out of whatever problem it was, whether it be the bad boyfriend or the house of prostitution or maybe even literal slavery, right? He says, what? Thou shalt abide with me for many days, and thou shalt not play the harlot. And thou shalt not be for another man, so will I be for thee. Right? So here's, here's Hosea. And, you know, and whenever we say Hosea, we're going through him to say God, right? Hosea is saying, hey, you're back now. I expect you to be faithful to me, and I will be faithful to you. In the same way that after we are redeemed, after God buys us out of our slavery from sin, right? He expects us to, you know, hey, try to avoid going back into that sin, right? It's not just, hey, I'm going to save you. Now go live your life however you want and do whatever you want and act wherever you want, right? No, instead, it's, a, it's a, ex- some expectation that, hey, you are now God's child, right? You're back into God's family and treat God like family. God treat you like family, right? That's the expectation that he has, that he set out for the children of Israel in the same way Hosea set out that expectation for his wife. Now for the last little bit, verses five and verses four and five, we see again the writers slipping right into, you know, no longer analogy, right? But straight into, hey, children of Israel, this is what it's going to be like, right? For this is the analogy, right? It says, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without teraphim. They are going to live the Gomer life. They're going to be apart from God, right? And during that time, they're not going to have all these things they are used to, right? In the same way when Gomer was away from uh, uh, Hosea, she didn't have all of his love, care, and support. Children of Israel, when they go away from God, turn away from God, they're not going to have all the things they're used to. They won't have their own kingdom. We know from history that's exactly what happened, right? They became a conquered people. So there was no king. There was no prince. There was no more temple. The temple got taken over. What does that mean? There was no sacrifice, right? There was none of all this stuff. There's no ephah. These are stu- the other terms are stuff related to the temple, right? All that stuff would be conquered. That was what they were warned about. And it came to pass because they didn't listen, right? They were not ready to repent. Instead, they fell into the same trap, the same thing that Gomer did, right? And so it was, that's what happened. But same thing, same thing in verse 5. God again gives us the reminder, the reminder of future, future repentance, right? 
Because afterwards, what will happen? The children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and fear the Lord, right? David their king, right? Now, obviously, we know they would not, David was, even by the time this was written, David was long since dead, right? So it doesn't mean literally that King David is going to return. What they're talking about is that the kings of the line of David would return, right? And lead Israel into glory. Now, who is the king from the line of David that was going to lead everyone to glory? Well, we know the answer again, because we, we, we can see through the past, we have the whole Bible to see. We know that king, right? The son of David, right? From the city of David. That king was Jesus, right? Jesus was the king, right? From the line of David. That's why we have that genealogy in the book of Matthew to prove that to us, right? That he was descended from David. He is that king that Hosea talks about hundreds of years ago before he was even born, right? That's the prophecy. That's what he fulfills. And that's what he brings to pass. So that's the story here in chapter 3. That's what we wrap up here with that. One thing just to note, to look at. Talking about, and I asked you guys to think about last time when we, were, when we finished up chapter 2. I said, you know, looking at the price the price, the price of redemption, right? You look at verse 2 when it talks about 15 pieces of silver, but not just 15 pieces of silver. This is what Hosea had to pay, right? Not just silver, but also an omer of barley and a half omer of barley, right? Now, what does it tell you? That he had to buy her back, but not just for silver, but for other stuff, right? Normally, when you and I, we go buy stuff, if you have money, you pay for it, right? It's very rare that you need to go buy something and, oh, I got to give you 15 bucks, and well, I don't have any more money, I'm gonna give you, you know, I'm gonna give you a stack of, you know, here's a loaf of bread, here's a piece of steak, here's some other things. Oh, now can I buy the item, right? It's not common today, right? And I don't think it would be that common even in Hosea's day. The idea is that if you had money, you would give it to the person and you would pay the debt, right? Rather than giving physical items like this, which suggests to me that probably didn't have the extra money to do it. But he wanted that, to, but he had to do it. He had to get all his money. How much is an omer of barley? How much is an omer of barley? Well, you don't have to turn to it, but believe it or not, it's actually defined in the Bible. It's defined in the Bible. If you look at the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, verse 16, it says, an omer of barley shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. So he gave 15 one omer of barley is another 50. Another half omer is 25. Added up, that's the equivalent of 90 pieces of silver that he gave to buy back his wife. 90 pieces of silver. How much is that, right? I mean, it's hard for us to put in context. Nowadays, 90 pieces of silver is not that much, right? Silver price is so low. Right? 90 pieces of silver in that day, what was it like? Well, think about Jesus. When Judas sold out Jesus, how much silver did he get? He only got 30 pieces, right? He got 30 pieces of silver to sell out Jesus, right? So my research on this, and general research on this, tells me that 30 pieces of silver, what uh, Judas got, that was equivalent to, in those days, about four months of wages. Four months of wages. If you work four months at a regular, normal people job, that's how much you would get. Roughly 30 pieces of silver. So now Hosea has given the equivalent of 90 pieces of silver, that's equivalent to one year's worth of wages, is it not? By my mathematics, I'm not a math expert, but I think that's how it uh, adds up. Imagine you and the money that you make in one year. 
giving it all to whoever to buy back your wife, right? That's the price he paid, a big price. And I think Hosea had to pay that big price because that represents the price that God paid to buy us back from sin. What was the price God paid? The price God paid was his own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. That's a huge price. We sometimes we don't think about it, you know, in that way, right? We think, well, oh, Jesus died on the cross to save our sins or whatever, right? But Jesus, giving up an actual person, a son, right? How much do you value your own children? If you're a parent, you would say your children are priceless, right? How much value does a human life has, have? It's hard to put a number on it. You know, one of the, the, the not-so-savory aspects of the job that I have is sometimes we have that responsibility to figure out what is the value of a human life, right? When we have fatality cases, right? When there's fatality cases, you have to value this case. You figure out, oh, how much is this case going to be worth? Because the guy died. And it kind of seems kind of like, you know, kind of crass. But I don't know if some of you guys are actuaries. I think they do the same type of thing, right? You say, oh, there's a car accident. The guy died. You say, oh, you know, the guy was, you know, 30 years old. He was going to work for another 30 years. He has a high-paying job. This is like a multi-million dollar case, right? It was worth a lot of money. On the flip side, you would say, oh, this is an 80-year-old man, right? Oh, he could have died soon anyways. He's retired, not making much money. This is a low-value case, not even a million dollars, right? That's the way we look at some of these court cases, right? But when we personally, right, if that was your family member, you would say, how much money would it cost you to compensate for the life of your family member? You would say, I, there's no money you would want. You would much rather have your family member be alive, right, than have any money, right? You would have, one, whether it be one million or a hundred million, right? I mean, that's the way I would think about it, especially for a child. So that's the price that God paid for us with Jesus. He gave us his best. He gave us his all, and he sacrificed it on the cross. That's why I think Hosea had to pay this big price, right? It wouldn't be equivalent if he just had to pay like, oh, here's five bucks, give me my wife back, right? This is something that's huge for him, right? This is, I pool together everything I have. I'm giving you, the one that has my wife right now, all this belongings, all my keepings, all my silver, all my barley, right? A whole year's worth. Take it. I want to buy my wife back that much. That's the way Jesus is with it. That's the way God is with us. That's the way he was with Jesus. I want to save you all, Israel. I still love you, even if you don't deserve it. And I give you my very best to buy you out from sin. That's what he did. So how is it for us that we can repay God back? I don't think we ever can, right? How do you add up, like I said, how do you add it up? The mo whatever we do, right? To add up to Jesus' sacrifice, we could put a million dollars in the offering. I don't think that that pays it back, right? I don't know. You could say, I pray for an hour every day and rejoice to God. Probably doesn't pay it back, right? But you know what? Doesn't mean we don't try. Try to lift up God and to give Him what He gave for us, right? That was expectation that was set forth for Gomer when Hosea came back, right? He said, You shall abide with me many days. Don't play the harlot anymore. Don't do this, right? Come back to me. Be part of my family. He's, God has done the same thing. He's bought us out of sin. Do we listen to him now when he requests of us only that we be part of his family now? That we do for him what a faithful 
spouse would do. To do what we can, all we can. A lot of times, you know, I gave the example of just like, oh, what if we put a billion dollars in the offering, right? A lot of times, we have a hard time putting any money in the offering, right? Even though God commands us, right? Even though that's what he would want, right? We say, oh, that's too hard. I can't do it, right? We don't think in terms of, hey, what did God give for us? If we think in that way, maybe we'll remind us that, hey, it's not a big ask for us to give 10% of our earnings, right? When we think about the time we spend, time we spend, do we spend time for him? We put in the context of what he gave for us. He gave us his son. Do we give him time on a daily basis? Do we say, yes, God, I'm going to spend this time with you every day? Maybe it's not an hour of prayer, as I, yeah, I told you. That would, still wouldn't be enough, right? But do we give any time at all? Some of us, we just say, oh, even a minute is too much. Can we say that we're going to put in the time for him, right? We put in the time for serving him. Right now, we're going to talk during the second half a little bit. They're going to mention about the flyer passing coming up. Can we sacrifice that one hour, two hours to do our flyer passing for our Chinese school? All these type of things. How do we pay back for what God has done for us? That should be in our mind. That should guide our thoughts and think about it. Next time, we're going to start off in chapter 4. But right now, it looks like we're out of time. They're banging down the door. So let's pray right now and wrap it up. Dear God, thank you for Hosea chapter 3, talking about the price, the price paid for redemption. God, we know that's a great price. Hosea paid a great price. You paid a great price. We're so thankful, though, that you gave us your son, Jesus Christ. God, let's challenge everyone here to remember that and to be thankful in our lives, to not be reluctant when, the pri- when, when your expectation goes back to us, whether it be you know, to try to repay you monetarily, in time, in effort, in energy, that we make that effort to do that always, Lord. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for your Bible. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.